This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah. Carlson, Welcome everybody to another episode of the Kevin Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who are super stoked for the fantasy playoffs to be almost upon us. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, the Poobah of Prognostication, the IPP MVP, the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. And welcome to episode number 332. Before the show, we were actually talking about like, how many can we name three NHL players who wear jersey number 32? Would you believe it's a goalie number? You've got Philip Gustafsson, Antti Ranta, Jonathan Quick, Kevin Lankin, and four goalies this year wearing the number 32. And that's why, you know, you can trust keeping Carlson to bring you the numbers that matter. <laughs> including the number 32, which are the last two digits of 332. Brian, of those goalies you just mentioned, who would you rather have for the rest of the season in your fantasy league? Okay, let me just remember who I mentioned. Uh, Kevin Lankinen, for okay. sure, right? <laughs> well, the reason I ask is because that's the format for this week's episode. We're going to try something new here. Uh, I've prepped the show. I've got a lot of interesting players to talk about, and I've grouped them into pairs, and we're going to play Would You Rather with a bunch of pairs of players from around the NHL where I'm just going to throw up two guys, and then Brian's going to analyze them both and say who he'd rather have on his fantasy team. We'll see if we agree or disagree. Uh, so we're going to get to that in just a second. But before that, let's of course mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website out there. I love Dauber Hockey. I'm there every day reading the articles, the daily ramblings. Frozen Tools is my number one tool that I use to prep the podcast every single day. Well, I don't prep the podcast every single day, but I'm prepping to succeed in my leagues. I'm using Frozen Tools. I'm using Dauber Hockey. So check it out. Okay, Brian. So, like we said, we're going to have our Would You Rather episode first. I guess a couple small updates that I couldn't fit into the Would You Rather format. I guess we do need to quickly discuss this whole crazy situation in Vancouver where there's some, like, conflicting reports, but generally it's, like, a whole bunch of players and staff are, like, affected, like, tested positive for COVID, are going through different symptoms. Like, obviously, we're wishing all of our best to all the Vancouver Canucks organization. I hope that everyone is okay and taking care of themselves. Uh, and, yeah, as far as fantasy goes... At this point, I don't know, it doesn't seem like they're going to be playing for a while. We don't know when. It's like, it seems like at least a couple weeks. Yeah, it seems like it's going to be a while. And we're not going to make any guesses. We're just going to follow our trusted sources on Twitter and just take it a step at a time. We're not going to get too far ahead of ourselves. And really, it just does seem pretty scary. Like, this is what we worried about going into the season, that playing hockey would be this dangerous for the players. So hopefully everybody recovers. I guess you probably want to know what the fantasy angle here is. And my fantasy angle is I wouldn't wait 
on any of them, really. Like, I have Brock Besser and Patrick Demko on my roster. Demko is IR plus eligible, which is handy, but my IR is, IR is full right now, and I'm not that hesitant to drop him if I need to make a move. And honestly, Brock Besser, if I just need to win a playoff round, I might need that roster spot more than I need Brock Besser three weeks down the road when I'm not even in the playoffs anymore because I've lost because I burned a roster spot, which has happened to me the last two weeks. Like Vancouver had this really, really rough schedule going into uh, what's happened to the team with COVID now. And so anybody who's holding them is really, really hurting. So take stock of how much you can tolerate burning those active roster spots on Vancouver Canucks players. And then if you need to say goodbye, say goodbye and hope that no other team is in a comfortable enough position to go ahead and jump on them and be like, yeah, I can burn a roster spot. Well, I mean, maybe they will, but what are you going to do about it, right? Like, if you need to win, like like you said, if if you're eliminated, then it's not going to help you to get Brock Besser back. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, in the Cupful, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League, next week is the last week of the regular season. And then we have six teams that make the playoffs, so the top two get a bye. So for the teams that come in either first or second, they've got, like, three weeks until their first playoff matchup. So if you've, like, clinched a bye in the Cupful, yeah, you might as well hold on to your Brock Besser, because maybe in three weeks from now, he'll be back. And, you know, also, consequently, if someone else drops a player like that, you can grab them uh but yeah it's an unfortunate situation it sucks that this is happening in the middle of the season it sucks like for from a human angle it sucks that this happened to our game but you know got to roll with the punches and this is you know you test a good fantasy player by what they're able to do with injuries right like you know yeah it sucks that brock besser isn't going to be available to you but like imagine if he got injured sure you would have been able to stash him but say he was out for the season right you would drop him and pick up someone else and it, it happens all the time so you'll just have we're gonna try our best in this episode <laughs> to go through some players that you maybe want to look at in your free agent pool to make a replacement uh the other thing I wanted to bring up, which I couldn't really fit into a would you rather, is Kyle Palmieri got benched today for the New Jersey Devils. I'm assuming in anticipation of the Devils wanting to trade him, just wanting to make sure he doesn't get injured. Uh, so this is probably going to start happening to maybe other players as well. I'm looking at you, Taylor Hall. Like, Buffalo clearly isn't going anywhere. I'd imagine they're going to be trading Hall, so why wouldn't they take a note from New Jersey's book and stop playing him to make sure he stays healthy for a trade? So just be careful. If you've got a player on your team that you're depending on, that's someone who might be trading at the trade deadline, you might not be getting too many more games out of them for the next week or two. Yeah, so you and I both have Kyle Palmieri on our rosters. It feels very Taylor Hall, doesn't it? Remember when the Devils sat him weeks ahead of what seemed like the day would be that they moved him? So they're, I guess, taking the same tack with Kyle Palmieri. And as somebody who has him on his roster, I really, really hope this doesn't go on too long. But hopefully, your platform lets you move them to uh, your IR plus or somewhere where you can just stash them in the meantime. But again, if you're in a desperate situation, it might just be time to be like, okay, I'm done. I, like I'm, I need to move on from this player. And especially someone like Kyle Palmieri too, has been very on and off this season on a team that struggles to create offense. And also, uh, you know, a lot of speculation, well, where is he going to go? He's probably going to go to a playoff team where he's not going to be relied on the same way that New Jersey tried to rely on him this year. Not to say that worked very well for him, but let's say he goes to Boston and plays on the second line with David Krejci. Is he even going to be able to get on the top power play because of how well Nick Ritchie is doing there? And who has produced well from the second line with David Krejci in the last two or three years? Pretty much nobody. So that would be my concern for waiting on Kyle Palmieri because you think he's going to go to a better team. A better team does not mean a better opportunity. In fact, it usually means a worse opportunity. Another example would be Blake Coleman moving from New Jersey to Tampa last year. 
Yeah, for sure. I agree with you. I wouldn't be too excited about Palmieri if he got moved. I guess if Taylor Hall gets moved. Like a lot of people are still holding on to Taylor Hall, and he actually got an assist yesterday for what it's worth. Uh, but, you know, they're holding on to him because they're hoping he'll get traded to a situation that'll be better for him, like, say, at Islanders where he's playing with Matt Barzal. But uh, it's not a guarantee, right? A lot of times players get traded at the deadline. It takes them a while. Mark Stone got traded at the deadline a couple years ago and did nothing for a while. I remember Paul Stasny. Like, I can think of a few players off the top of my head. Uh, Ryan Miller back in the day. I remember when he got traded from Buffalo, who was terrible then. So something's never changed. He was from Buffalo to St. Louis, I believe. And everyone was like, okay, now it's finally all the people who held on to Ryan Miller. Now we're finally going to have our great goalie on a great team. And I, if I recall correctly, he stunk. So don't get too excited about these players that are going to get moved at the deadline. I think that, uh, like we were saying about the other things, like I think if a player is burning a hole in your roster and causing you to lose, you might just want to let go. Yeah, everyone gets super excited to hear about transaction news, right? Like rumors is a whole hockey industry in and of itself. But so rarely do we actually see those rumors turn into some really meaningful, significant, actionable fantasy advice. So if you can find that manager, and we say this in the offseason too, if you can find that manager just so pumped because a player has moved or is rumored to be moved at the draft or whatever, uh, maybe go chat with them and see what they want to do. I think the exception I'll make here, Elon, the one player I will wait for that's going to be traded or is likely to be traded is Taylor Hall. I am very curious to see where he goes and if I had him on my roster. You have him on your roster. No, right. I was just oh, saying yeah. that, yeah, I, first him. of all, I wouldn't wait for him. <laughs> I, I'm concerned about Taylor Hall. And also I traded him yeah. for Jordan Eberle and I'm very happy yeah. about it. Yeah. So that's actually, yeah. And we put that up in our uh, our cupful trades dis- uh, channel on our Discord server. Have you checked to see what, what the crew thinks of your deal? I mean, I don't really care. Like, I know it was the right move for me because I needed to win. And, like, Jordan Everly got me two goals and an assist the day after I acquired him. That helped me win this important week for me. Okay. And plus, I got fab out of it. So I don't really care what they think. I know what I'm doing. Well, do you care if you know that 85% of all respondents think you won the deal? Hey, I mean... I think at the end of the day, sometimes a trade is, you know, you could judge it and say who won, but sometimes also it depends what you need. Like, it was like when I traded uh, Tavares for Meyer and Carlson, everyone voted that I lost the deal, but I needed roster flexibility that week. And so there's like nuances to these things. And by the way, uh, John Tavares, we're going to talk about him a little bit, not doing so well lately. But anyways, okay, let's get to our Would You Rather game that we have planned for today's show. So I want to start with a couple of defensemen, some high-end defensemen. I guess like when we're discussing this, we'll seem like a couple points, okay? So we care mostly about offense, but also a little bit about peripherals. Like in the couple, we've got 4.5 for a goal, 3 for an assist, and then we've got like 0.5 for a shot, 0.5 for a block, 0.25 for a hit. So hopefully that gives you a general sense. Maybe if, Brian, we sort of have a different answer, depending on if it's points only versus couple scoring, we can mention that. But uh, that's the general gist that I'm kind of going for here when I'm thinking about comparing these two players, because it's the, the best league in the world, and it's the one I think about the most. Uh, yeah. And if so, anybody wants to know what the Kikupful scoring is exactly, kikupful.com slash rules is where you go. can find that information. Okay, so I want to start with a couple high-end defensemen. Starting in Vegas, Alex Petrangelo finally returned from his upper body injury on Wednesday versus LA. Uh, hasn't gotten on the score sheet yet in three games. He's taken a lot of shots, seven shots in his first game back, and then three shots and three shots versus Minnesota twice. Uh, he also has nine blocks in the three games, so he's helping you in the perifs. But obviously, if you have Alex Petrangelo, it's because you're expecting some goals and assists. Uh, he's been getting good deployment. He's been seeing top power play time for the last couple of games. On Saturday's loss to Minnesota, it was a loaded top power play, like, for a while, Vegas had been splitting it with like good players on both. But on Saturday, it was Patches, Stone, Carlson, Marcheseau, and Petrangelo. Uh, but still, now Petrangelo is down to 10 points in 21 games on the season. That's a 39-point pace 
which would be his worst ever season if he continues it. So hasn't been that amazing for Petrangelo managers. Then I'm going to put him against Jacob Chikrin, who is, uh, as opposed to Petrangelo, on pace for his best season ever, 22 points in 37 games for a 49-point pace. But that was looking a lot better like a month ago. He's gone cold lately. Going into today, he's pointless in four and has only three points in his last 11 games. And I say going into today because Arizona does get the Ducks around the time that we're going to finish recording the show. So who knows? Maybe Trickern will break out of his slump tonight by the time you've listened to this. So yeah, Brian, 2D with huge upside, but that are cold right now. Who do you like? Okay, well, I'll start with Alex Petrangelo because you mentioned him first. And just going over his point paces, you said his point pace right now is 39 points for this season. Uh, and you go back to the last, uh, I'm going to go the four years before this one, 50 points, then 60 points, then 50 points, then 60 points. So this was supposed to be a 50-point season for Alex Petrangelo, and he's falling 10 points short of that pace. And all that's been lost for Petrangelo this season has been lost on the power play. He's got the same power play time on ice as usual. And as you mentioned, good line mates still mostly been playing with William Carlson, Pacioretty, Mark Stone. But after scoring on about 11% of Petrangelo's power play shots over the last four seasons, and that's about the time that he's emerged as a top power play quarterback, uh, Petrangelo has scored no times this season on only 11 shots, which doesn't say a whole lot. That's just a goal or two. And his shot rates are pretty steady, actually. So the real reason behind Petrangelo's power play struggles are systemic. Like the the whole Vegas power play has really struggled to score, believe it or not. You wouldn't think so after naming the personnel that he gets to play with, including himself and Alex Petrangelo, but they have just a 7% shooting percentage while on the power play with Petrangelo on the ice, which would rank 28th in the league at five on five. That means 27 other teams' 5-on-5 shooting percentages are higher than Vegas' shooting percentage when they have one or two extra men on the ice, which is not something that usually sustains. That's just like, oh, uh, that's bad shooting luck. They're facing some really hot goalies or just not getting the most fortunate bounces. So I'm actually not at all worried about Alex Petrangelo. His minutes are fine. His deployment is fine. His power play time on ice is fine. Pucks just haven't gone in. And under the hood, this Vegas power play is as dangerous as the St. Louis power play that Petrangelo used to quarterback. So if you've made it with Petrangelo on your roster this long, there's actually, this is good news for you. There's hope. He steps it up a notch for you down the stretch and gives you more than he's already been giving you, which is like, uh, hopefully acquiring a fresh upgraded Alex Petrangelo for your stretch run. On the other side, you asked me about Jacob Shikrin, who, yeah, has given up uh, some of his power play role. Ekman Larson seeing a 50-50 split of power play time lately. And why not? This is like the hidden headline when we're talking about Jacob Shikrin. Out of nowhere, Oliver Ekman Larson is back. He's got five power play points in his last seven games, including two power play goals, which was his bread and butter for a little while. Meanwhile, Jacob Shikrin has gone 15 games without a power play point, has just two power play points in his last 25 games, and uh, getting six power play points in 37 games on the season for Shikrin, that's not going to get the job done for a power play one quarterback. If anybody anywhere was doing that, we'd say, get him out of here. That's like a 12 to 15 point full season pace, and I'm not having that for a defenseman quarterbacking the top unit. Uh, So where I see Shikrin is trying to score like Arizona still has their power play it looks 
pretty centered around him bombing away from the point, but just hasn't been successful. Um, and without that power play success, Shikrin is on a 50 point pace, which by the way, it's still good, but it sounds about right to me if he's not going to be collecting any power play points. So I would say, especially with Ekman Larson uh, coming in and taking a 50-50 share of the Arizona power play and Arizona moving to this like power play A and B setup. So we've got Ekman Larson. Uh, looks like he's playing with Broussard, Dvorak, Garland, and Schmaltz. And then Shikrin with uh, Keller and Kessel. I guess that is still the first unit. I don't know. They're not having any more success than the second unit. So there's nothing telling me Shikrin deserves a ton better than what he's getting. So if you're asking me to pick Petrangelo or Shikrin the rest of the year, I would rather Petrangelo. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to agree with you. And I love Jacob Chikrin, and I'm a little bummed that he's gone cold. I'm hoping he'll heat up again right before a playoff run. It's clearly still possible. Like, he's not, you know, getting terribly worse deployment. And with Alex Petrangelo, by the way, we should mention that he could get bumped from that top power play for Shea Theodore at any time. So it's not as if he has the safest uh, upside also. But I think at the end of the day, you also just kind of go with the player on the team that you expect to score more goals. So that would be my tiebreaker. But yeah, well, it'll be interesting to follow and see which of these guys breaks out first. I think it's just a matter of time for both of them. But I agree with you that. Uh, Petrangelo, I, I would bet on him getting hot first. Okay, so next up, a couple of centers. One of them we've already mentioned. Uh, so this matchup is like two players who at the start of the year wouldn't have even been a question, right? John Tavares versus Ryan Strome. And you think, of course, Tavares, don't even bother me with this garbage. But if you take a look, it's like not looking that awesome for Tavares so far. Like going into today. So Toronto also plays tonight, recording this Sunday night, and Toronto is going to play Calgary in a little bit. Uh, but going into today, uh, Tavares has been ice cold lately. He has only one point in his last five games. He's actually on pace for his worst season since his rookie campaign. Only 28 points in 37 games. It's a 62-point pace. I feel like Toronto's been scoring so many goals. I feel like if you don't have Tavares on your team, you may not even have noticed that he's not doing as well. But, like, clearly that Matthews Marner and the now Hyman line is the straw that stirs the drink, like, for the offense in Toronto right now. Tavares Nylander Galchenyuk has been pretty meh. Maybe I should just blame Alex Galchenyuk for this recent Tavares cold streak. Uh, But, yeah, so Tavares, yeah, he's cold. Only 62-point pace on the year. If it was a different player, you'd be like, okay, so he's fine. Nothing special. Obviously, we know the upside that he has from previous seasons. Meanwhile, Ryan Strom, who had this whole narrative last year that, like, oh, maybe he's, like, not that good. Yeah, he's getting a lot of points. He's probably overperforming. Like, he had a high shooting percentage. Like, he's just benefiting from playing with Panarin. I don't know. Say what you will. But now going into this season, he, like, finally went without a point for the first time in 12 games in Saturday's shocking 3-2 loss to Buffalo. Before that, he was on a run of 16 points in 11 games. And he now sits at 34 points in 37 games on the season. That's a 75-point pace. Strom is blowing Tavares out of the water. Though, of course, the past doesn't always predict the future. So I'm curious to know if you had the option of one of these centers, who would you take? I am going to take... I guess there's there's two choices here, right? Obviously, I'm not going to give you my answer that quickly. Um, there's upside, which I think does lean Tavares. And then there's certainty... Which, yeah, I'm going to say Ryan Strom provides some degree of certainty. Right now it is 75-point pace. Last year he was on a 69-point pace. Everything looks good for him. So I don't think that's going to change, that Strom is going to produce between the 70 and 75-point pace the rest of the season. The question is, can Tavares top it? And this season, at 5-on-5, I don't know that he's got a lot of opportunity to do that. Tavares has this really pedestrian production at five on five, and there's a few reasons for it. Uh, The first is not in his control. Actually, none of them 
are really in his control, but one of them is not due to variance. This is due to his coach. He's playing 60 seconds a night, less at five on five compared to what Tavares was playing last year. Then there's a couple pieces of variance that are hurting him in particular. First, John Tavares' on-ice shooting percentage at five on five is barely above 6%, which is like three, honestly, maybe even 4% lower than where I'd expect Tavares and his line mates to be shooting. And then his own shooting percentage is down under 6% compared to 12% in his career, which is essentially double what he's been doing this season. And I, I did some math that's worth about four goals there, which would be enough to get Tavares up to a 70-point pace if we regress that shooting percentage. But there's also this power play uh, angle, too, for Tavares. He's down 37 seconds a night compared to last year, uh, and he's got his lowest share of power play time of during his time in Toronto so far. He had 70% share last season, 60% share the year before. This year, less than a 55% share of power play time for Tavares as the Leafs are experimenting a little more with other line mates on that top unit with Marner and Matthews, like we've seen Thornton and we've seen Simmons. We've even seen Spezza get some time there. And that has taken some minutes away from John Tavares. So I think... Like I said, he's probably at a 70-point pace just if you allow him the like his normal shooting percentage the rest of the way. But the other missing 5 or 10 points that keep him from being an 80-point player the rest of the season are in minutes at 5-on-5 five five and uh, being that, or I should say not being that lock on the top power play anymore, even though he's still mostly there. He's not as there as he has been the past couple years. So... Your question is, do you take a 70-point Tavares who could really explode, especially if he does get some more power play one deployment, which honestly I'm open to. That power play one is doing just fine in Toronto, but the other guys on it aren't doing anything so special. Um, Or you can just go with Steady Strom at 70 to 75 points. I think I would go, like, this is is tough for me. This is two flavors. I would want to go Tavares just for the upside because I think he has a better chance of being able to hit an 80-point pace but I definitely wouldn't begrudge anyone for choosing Ryan Strom, who's already there at like, or already just below that 80 point pace. And I think is probably going to be able to stay there. Yeah, I'm gonna. This is gonna be one where I'm gonna disagree with you. I had a feeling you'd go Tavares. Like, I just have a couple things that you said. I just, not like I disagree, but it's like this vibe of even if Tavares is on the top power play, like I said, it just really feels like this is the Marner and Matthews show this yeah. year. You know, like I just don't feel like they're running things through Tavares. Meanwhile, Strom, like you're saying, like oh, he's a steady like 70, 75 point guy. Like, like I said, he's on a huge run right now. The real story, of course, is Artemi Panarin, who's had three straight multi point games now, and Strom is playing with him all the time. I don't know. I just feel. Feel like Strom is the safer bet to be like right there in the midst of all the offense while well, it seems like the Leafs are happy to let Marners and Matthew get all the yeah. points but it, it'll probably be close but I think I would actually lean Strom. I could totally be convinced to go for Strom. The question is do you want a 75 point player who's probably probable ceiling is 75 points or do you want a 70 point player who has a ceiling of 80 points? <laughs> but like I said, like Strom has 16 points in his last 12 games. So when you say he has a ceiling yeah. of 75 points, lately he's been doing much better than that. Right, but on the whole season, I'm not I'm not just going to look at those those last mm-hmm. that last group of games. I get what you're saying. Yeah, no, I think we're in agreement. Yeah. I think we okay. uh, I know what you're saying. Like obviously really John close. I yeah. could, I, I could rather either of them. Though it is kind of a bummer for people who drafted Tavares really high because, like, clearly you weren't hoping we'd be having a debate about this this late into the season. I mean, Ryan Strom is pretty good. 
Yeah, uh, clearly, like anyone who drafted him is super happy that we're having this conversation right now. All right, let's stick on the Leafs. Let's go in Nets now. I want to do another matchup where the answer would have seemed obvious, like even a month ago, but now I'm like really not so sure. So of course, we need to talk about the Leafs phenom goaltender, Jack Campbell, who's coming off a great week where he beat Edmonton on Monday, then Winnipeg twice on Wednesday and Friday. He now sits with, at a record of 8-0. and He hasn't lost yet. He's got a 9.51 save percentage. Who is this, Igor Shostorkin from last year? So it's looking like right now, Campbell coming in late and crushing it. Meanwhile, Frederick Anderson still hasn't skated, so who knows when he'll be back? And even if he does come back, why would the Leafs switch back to Anderson with the way Campbell's playing? Of course, Campbell isn't without his own health issues. He's been having his workload managed uh, tonight on Sunday. It's going to be Hutchinson playing, though it's a back-to-back, so Campbell's going to play tomorrow. So that would make sense even if he wasn't having his workload managed. So it's a small risk, though actually there was that one game that he missed and he end- uh, a couple weeks ago and he ended up getting O status on Yahoo, so I was able to stash him for his scratch, which is nice. I wish all of my goalies, whenever they didn't play, I could like stash them in my IR. So it's not even the worst thing that he's having his workload managed. So that's Jack Campbell. He's looking awesome. On the other side, we have a sure starter coming off an amazing season who started strong this year but has really been struggling as of late. I wonder if you could guess what I'm going to talk about. Another Canadian team goaltender, Jacob Markstrom. This guy stinks lately. He's lost five starts in a row going into today. Like I said, actually, Toronto's playing uh, Calgary, so we'll see how Markstrom does today. Uh, but yeah, he's gone three straight games with a save percentage under 900, so just killing people over the last couple of weeks, down to a 901 save percentage on the season in 27 games, which is his lowest since he arrived to Vancouver back in like 2014. So Markstrom just overall now, even with that great start, like he's blown it all away and now is having this like barely... Like, not even above average season. I'd say, like, below average season of any goalie in the league. To make matters even worse, Calgary plays Toronto tomorrow on Monday. And, like, I guess so he'll play, right? Because Riddick is playing today. Oh, right. I think I I didn't mention that. So, yeah, today we're not going to be seeing Markstrom because Riddick is playing tonight. But, yeah, so he'll get that game tomorrow against Toronto. And then uh, Calgary's next two games next week are scheduled to be against Vancouver on Thursday and Saturday. And, of course, those games aren't happening. So if nothing gets moved around, Markstrom is going to be giving you just one game next week. And he's not going to be getting O status, right? Because, like, why would he? So at this point, are you really going to hold on to a Jacob Markstrom who's not even going to help you next week if, if it's a week where you need to win? I don't know. Scary. And even if he was playing the way he's playing lately, I feel like you might want Jack Campbell. So that then becomes the interesting question. So obviously I want to do it in this uh, Campbell versus Markstrom, but then in general, I'd be curious to know your general thoughts on like, is Markstrom a drop? Like, you know, like I personally in the couple, I've got Soros and Campbell. I don't want to drop either of them. Then I have Jonathan Bernier, your favorite, Brian, in my IR. He's going to be coming out soon and I don't want to hold four goalies. And right now it's crazy to say, but I'm looking at Markstrom as a potential drop. It is pretty crazy, especially for how hot Jacob Markstrom started his year. And we were talking about, like, like how great is this guy? You were loving having him on your roster. 925 in his first 12 games. Uh, since then, in 15 games, an 878 goalie. This is not Oof. a recent thing for Jacob Markstrom to be bad. Like, you, when you said it, I was kind of taken aback where you're like, yeah, just a below average season on the whole. And I was like, oh, come on. He hasn't been bad for that long. But Really, he has been for over half the season now. Even with that great start, Jacob Markstrom has fallen uh, to having uh, a Delta Fenwick save percentage that's below the expected number that an average goalie would be able to put up in the league. And this is also not something that changes. Like, Daryl Sutter coming in is the other factor to Calgary uh, for Jacob Markstrom and what that might do for him. And uh, it hasn't moved the needle at all. Jacob Markstrom's five-on-five expected Fenwick save percentage before Daryl Sutter, 941. With Daryl Sutter, 
941. Uh, Markstrom has actually just been worse with Sutter than he has before, and so have all the Flames. But the defense pairs have, have stayed the same, and I guess, I, like, I'm, there's two layers here. There's what happened 15 games ago, and what has happened uh, in the last eight or nine games since Daryl Sutter came in, and I don't really have the answers to either of those questions, unfortunately. Calgary just seems like they're in a rough spot, and I think Probably, like you can look at Calgary, uh, Calgary's struggles on the whole, and Jacob Markstrom and ask chicken or egg between the two. I honestly don't know, but I would be worried about holding him the rest of the season for anybody insisting on holding him, which I, I don't blame you because we've seen the high highs and we've seen a lot more good hockey from Jacob Markstrom over the last couple seasons than bad. That would be the reason to hold on and say, look, his talent didn't disappear completely unless he's playing with some kind of nagging injury. I'd expect him to be capable of getting back up to the levels we saw him at earlier this season. But however, goalies. So that's a, that's a tricky one for anybody rostering him still. Uh, Jack Campbell is the one I think I would prefer, even though his load management situation in Toronto is really frustrating. He's a difficult guy to roster in formats that reward volume like wins and saves, uh, because Campbell is so far only playing every other night, and that's without Freddie Anderson healthy. I understand why Toronto wants to be careful. You don't want to go into the playoffs and another year of your cup window where you're going in with your third stringer, who right now is Michael Hutchinson. I get it, uh, but it's just really frustrating. I would love to see more of Jack Campbell because he's been really, really good. And I love to see in a small sample so far this year and a similarly small sample last year, uh, he really seems like he could be for real. And in rates leagues, Campbell is a clear choice between Jack Campbell and Jacob Markstrom. The only reason I would rather Markstrom is if uh, volume is really, really important to you. Although I guess we'll see how Riddick does tonight. And if he steals a start or two, the door has never even been open to him. But maybe that's one change with Daryl Sutter that's like, oh, okay, let's try your number two guy. Maybe something's not working. Maybe Markstrom needs a rest. But uh, that would be the only situation that I'd prefer Markstrom over Campbell is if he continues to be that workhorse number one and your league really puts that emphasis on saves. Otherwise, Jack Campbell. Yeah. And if you don't need to win next week, because like I said, you're only going to be getting one Markstrom start. So he's a very tough hold right now. I'm going to agree with you on Campbell. All right, let's stick with goalies now, Brian. I want to go to San Jose and talk about Martin Jones because their win over LA on Saturday was their fourth in a row. And all of a sudden, the San Jose Sharks, like this is not an old episode. This is in 2021. The San Jose Sharks are tied with St. Louis for fifth in the West Division, just one point back of Arizona for the last playoff spot. Like all of a sudden, the San Jose Sharks, they're right in this thing. And a lot of that recent success has come on the back of none other than Martin Jones, who's led in only two goals on six. 67 shots in the last two game series versus the Kings, and he's now on a 6 1 1 run in his last eight games, sporting a 940 save percentage in that span. Right, Martin Jones is like the goalie we've probably talked about the most on the show as being not good. I remember even back when he seemed to be doing well, you always had that hot take that uh, if you look under the hood, like it was mostly supported by a high, like power play or you know, shorthanded save percentage, and like you predicted that he'd be bad even when he was doing well, and you were always right. Uh, but now, all of a sudden, I guess we'll put you to the test again and see if you still feel that way. I wonder if maybe this time will be different just because you've maybe turned into a little bit more of a softie. Because earlier on this year, the other goalie that you always used to completely disregard was Jonathan Bernier. Then you had the like miraculous 
turn, right? And all of a sudden you're like, no, Jonathan Bernier is great. What are you talking about? Like, drop everyone to get Jonathan Bernier. Are you, like, equally convinced that Martin Jones, now from what we've seen over the past few weeks, is enough to say, yeah, grab Jones and ride him for your playoffs? And I guess since this is this or that, this is the only one where I don't actually have a single goalie to compare him to. I thought just for fun, I'm just gonna throw out a bunch of goalie names, all the goalies that are available to us in our Fantasy Hockey Trades Invitational Free Agent list, where uh, we added Martin Jones yesterday over all of these guys. I'm curious if you see Jones. You don't even have to pick one, but just like, is Jones like clearly above these guys or is he just like the same, you know, and like we should just stream. So I'm talking about Aiden Hill, who's the starter right now in Arizona. He's 4-3-1 and one in his last eight games. He had a couple strong games recently versus Anaheim and San Jose, sandwiching a terrible beating by Colorado where he was pulled after letting in four goals in six minutes. So hopefully people who had Hill were smart and benched him for that game. Uh, we've got Linus Allmark, two wins in a row versus Philly and the Rangers. He's 7-5-2 and two on the season now. So, you know, the Sabres had that terrible losing streak, but that was with Allmark injured. So maybe like they're not as bad a team when they have Allmark and Nets. So it's not like a guaranteed loss. Uh, Carter Hart, uh, you know, the short shifts guys talked about him before. He finally got in a game uh, yesterday and was solid. He stopped 22 of 24, the 3-2 shootout loss to the Islanders. Uh, Mackenzie Blackwood, he's fine. Like 4-4-1 four, four, in his last 10 going into today. Got beat up by the Capitals today on Sunday. Uh, I'll throw Kevin Lankin in. Uh, so yeah, like so you get the kind of gist of the types of goalies. I'm curious, to know, is Martin Jones like above these guys or is he just like one of them? You're not buying into the hot streak. Okay, yeah. First, I just want to talk about Martin Jones and how wild this last run has been for him. Martin Jones, uh, just off the charts, put up a 922 save percentage in March, has followed that up with a 970 performance over his last two games, stopping 65 of 67 shots. The last time that Martin Jones played a string of five or more games with a save percentage above 905, Elon, do you want to guess? I mean, it's like, I remember the Sharks, like, were good. Like, he was good for a couple of years. There's a reason why he got that contract, right? So is it like back then, like five seasons ago, four seasons ago? It was March 2018. Okay. It's been three years since Martin Jones put together five or more games, or sorry, I should say more than five games that were above a 907 save percentage. Uh, so that's huge. And that's also the caveat here with Martin Jones is we're seeing something that we haven't seen for three years. And I'm using monthly splits to get this data, which obviously aren't perfect because like dividing by month, uh, performance by month is pretty arbitrary. But you look through his monthly splits over the last, well, I want to spit at them. They're so bad. 885, 857, 882, 902, 890. It's just, it's this for three years, pretty much between this last run in March, 2018, and this run he's currently on in March and April of 2021. So when you're asking me if I believe in him this time, the answer is no. Do I want to believe in him, Elon? Yes, desperately. There's so much fantasy value that we just lose in that shark's crease every year, even though they're not as good a team as they once were. Uh, There are a couple years where there should have been value there, and there wasn't. So that's why I'm hoping, but that doesn't mean I'm hopeful that Martin Jones can keep him up. That said, I've added him to my cupful roster in case that he can keep it up. So I've at least uh, put some skin in the game here. Would I prefer him over all the guys you said? I'm going to take them one at a time. Yes, I'd prefer him to Aiden Hill. Uh, Linus Allmark is is a real close one. I think I'd say no to Allmark. I have a little more faith in Allmark's rates. But of course, depending on how important wins are to you, in that case, I'd prefer Martin Jones versus Carter Hart. I'd call that a push versus Mackenzie Blackwood. Uh... Yes, I think I'd take him to Blackwood just because Blackwood is uh, is someone who we know isn't comfortable with that workhorse workload that 
is getting thrust upon him. And if the devils are sitting Paul Mary, they're in cell mode. So I don't know if we can expect a whole lot of good out of Blackwood the rest of the way. And then the last name you mentioned, then I'll let you chime in. Kevin Lankinen, uh, who we talked about at the top of the show, I would prefer Lankinen to Martin Jones. But Martin Jones is like probably in my top three of this group of guys who you might find in free agency. As, as a goalie that you can add out of free agency, who's doing so well over his last 12 games and is on a team that seems to have something to play for for the first time in maybe two months. Yeah, I'm into Martin Jones uh, uh, just a little. Yeah, I mean, all you really had to say is that you call him a push with Carter Hart, and that, like, answers the question to me. It means you don't have that much faith in Martin Jones. Like, you have him in this tier. Basically, you're saying, yeah, he's another goalie that you could stream in and hope he does continues to do well, but you're not expecting him to keep this up, which is fair. Like, he's given us lots of reason. But yeah, I was wondering if he was, like, above these guys now, because of all these guys we just mentioned, the uh, Jones and the Sharks, they have a lot to play for, like, and they seem to be a really good team right now. So I was wondering if maybe you'd be like, no, yeah, the Sharks are good now. Seems like you need to see a little bit more first. Uh, you know, that one person who really does believe in the Sharks and thinking that they're going to do well is uh, Victor Nuno from the Fantasy Hockey Life podcast. He messaged me and was telling me that I should even go bet on the Sharks to make the playoffs. And this was like a couple games ago. So now all of a sudden the odds have probably gone down. But he was suggesting to me that maybe like Jones's work with goalie coach Nabokov is maybe perhaps starting to pay off. You know, trying to read into like, trying to figure out like, how is it that Jones is good all of a sudden? I mean, it is possible that players learn things, you know, and get better. Like you would think it's possible. So that could be the case. It's just like, like you said, it's so weird. Who knows? I'll be interested to see how the rest of the season goes for sure. But Brian, I brought that all up because if I did want to go bet on the Sharks to make the playoffs or to win the cup or anything like that, I would want to go to like a reliable website where I can place bets and be confident that everything's going to go smoothly. Do you know any such site? I do. It's called mybookie.ag and there's a ton of NHL and also NBA and MLB action there for you, regardless of your favorite sport or player team. Uh, you can choose from thousands of lines and prop bets on all major sports and it's all in one place at mybookie. Elon, you were checking out the San Jose Sharks Cup odds because of how pumped you were about this Martin Jones run. That Martin Jones is going to take them all the way to a Stanley Cup this season on this Sharks team. Elon, what kind of odds would you be getting over at my bookie if you wanted to make that bet? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, by the way, encouraging anyone to spend a lot of money on the Sharks winning the Cup. It might be fun to throw down like 10, 20 bucks because the odds right now are plus 6,600. I've learned a few things. I messed this up actually last week. Plus 60, if you have a plus, that means it's like if you bet $100, how much you would win. So plus 6,600, basically that means 66 to 1 odds. So if I were to bet 10 bucks, I'd get like 660 bucks. So that's pretty good, right? That's a big return for not a big payoff. And yeah, the Sharks, I mean, winning the Cup might be a little bit hard, but they're, I don't know, they're looking good. Winning and the my- Cup might be a little bit hard. <laughs> it might be a little hard. They have, there's some good teams out there, like the Colorado Avalanche. And uh, by the way, I should mention another reason to be into Martin Jones, not to like interrupt talking about my bookie, but uh, the Sharks actually have a pretty sweet schedule over the next little while. Like they're not playing yeah. Colorado for a bit. They're playing the likes of Anaheim and LA and Minnesota, which is, a, you know, a lot easier. Anyways, yeah, so if you want to go bet on the Sharks, 66 to 1 odds right now over on my bookie. Yeah, so take a look there. And remember, like Elon said, uh, you want to bet for fun, not for income, right? So just keep that in mind as you go over to mybookie.ag on the website or on your phone. And also use the promo code Keeping Carlson, and they're going to match your first deposit halfway 
up to a thousand bucks. That's free bonus cash credited to your account instantly on top of your deposit. Again, that's mybookie.ag with the promo code Keeping Carlson. You can bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. And we mentioned already about betting responsibly. You can head on over to responsiblegambling.org for more tips on how to do just that. Okay, thank you so much to our friends at MyBookie. Uh, We're going to be back in just a second for the rest of Would You Rather on Keeping Carlson. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com BlueWire. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, we are back. Brian, let's get into all the other pairings I have for you and the listeners to decide who we would rather have on our fantasy teams the rest of the way. We were talking about how dominant Colorado has been lately. So let's talk about a couple of players on that team in Eunice Donskoy and Nazem Kadri. This is another one where at the start of the year, this would have seemed obvious. Obviously, I want Kadri over Donskoy. But Donskoy, as has been discussed on like the stream scheme and on short shifts, like this isn't the first Keeping Carlson property to discuss Eunice Donskoy because he had himself a week right his second half of march is the best like i don't know 10 game stretch of his career he scored a goal versus la then went on a run of 15 points in 10 games including a huge three goal and one assist game versus arizona on wednesday since then he's actually gone pointless on friday and saturday but still has been holding down that really sweet top power play spot over the aforementioned Nazem Kadri. Adonskoy plays on the third line at even strength with Jost and Nichushkin. Uh, meanwhile, Kadri has a couple assists in his last three games, which is fine. Before that, he was on a four-game pointless drought, so he hasn't been doing much for you lately, especially compared to someone getting you hat-tricks. Uh, He's been centering the second line with Burakovsky and Saad, but without the top power play, that becomes a lot less exciting. And also, the ice time between that second line and third line, there's not much difference. I don't even know. Like, I'm just saying second line because Kadri's there, but you could easily say that the Donskoy line and, you know, and the Kadri line are, like, equivalent in even strength, if, if I may. Uh, so, of course, it's always possible that Kadri gets that top power play job back any game now. I don't... Sorry. I'm just going to bust in. I don't think you can say that, that the second and third line are equal. Like, you're talking Kadri versus Tyson Chose, so I'll take Kadri. Then you're t- talking Brandon Saad versus Nachushkin. Maybe that's a push. And then you're talking, I, okay, I see what you're saying. Then Burakovsky versus Donskoy, which right now you would take Eunice Donskoy. But I think it's, I think I know who the three better players usually are. Right. So I actually wasn't talking about like the players. I was just looking at the ice time. I was just saying that like, it's not as if they're being deployed as like a second and third line necessarily. But anyway, I'm not, I'm just making the argument, the case for both sides. The case for Kadri is that he's been like Tavares, right? He's been better for longer. Yunus Donskoy is someone who wasn't drafted in any leagues. Plus, it's possible that Kadri gets back on the top power play. Maybe this is a short term thing. Kadri has held that spot for most of the year. So curious to get your thoughts on what's going to happen with the Colorado power play and who you would take. Like if you have Kadri right now and Donskoy is still out there in free agency somehow, is that a swap you would consider making? 
It's not. I don't think this one, you won't be surprised to hear me say this. I don't think it, it's that close between Kadri and Donskoy, but I love that you're bringing it up because uh, there's reason to think it is. And it's not just that Eunice Donskoy is hot now. He was hot at the start of the year, too. This is not his first run of the year. 10 points in Donskoy's first 12 games, followed by three points in his next 12, then 15 points in his next 10, and now no points in his last two. We've been on this ride before with Donskoy, too, both with San Jose and with Colorado, but this is all shaping up to be Donskoy's best year yet with the most hot streaks. We usually see him run hot and cold a bunch of times all year. I guess if I wanted to really legitimize your take, and I do, I do, it's a good take. Uh, what I've really liked from Donskoy in this last run that he's been on, uh, that we've rarely ever seen from him in any kind of sustained way is he's shooting the puck in Donskoy's last eight games he's had four or more shots five times all season in his previous 29 games he had done that zero times having four or more shots on goal he had three shots once and the rest were zeros ones and twos in the shots column and mostly zeros and ones so Eunice Donskoy all of a sudden shooting the puck uh really I think more than he has in any other stretch of his career now, it's like, okay, well, he's shooting the puck. Does that justify all the goals that Donskoy is scoring? And my answer is no. In that 10-game run that just ended, Donskoy had nine goals on 31 shots, which uh, is great, three shots per game, but he scored on 30% of them. Uh, so that's not likely to hold. Also on the whole season, Donskoy is shooting 27% and has a career-high 80% points participation at five on five. So I know it's super tempting. And we see guys like Brandon Saad and Val Nachushkin go on runs in Colorado too. I'd lump Donskoy in with those guys as uh, shots, darts you can throw and hope that they pan out while they're on your roster, but they're not certain. Also, you mentioned the power play thing for Donskoy. He's been on top unit for three games, uh, has one power play point in those three games. So I guess that's good, but I... I just, I don't know that he's going to hold there over Kadri much longer. Like, I don't see why he would, unless this is a punishment to Kadri or a reward to Donskoy. And I think everything's going to even out before long. I know Kadri's cold, um, but he's got 24 points in 27 games this season. Uh, he's had hot and cold runs like we saw from Kadri last year. And now he's cold three points in his last 10, but still three shots a game. And he's not that far removed from his time on the top power play. It's not like it was weeks ago and he's never getting another sniff. On the whole, Kadri's actually uh, got career highs or approaching his career highs in five on five shot rates and has career high expected goals rates. His power play production also looks fine. Look, Kadri is locked in at a 55 or 60 point player for three of the last four seasons. And that fourth season that he wasn't, the outlier was just like, that was only because Kadri's shooting percentage was cut in half that year. Otherwise, 55, 60 point guy. So consistent. Donskoy, the opposite of consistent. And that's why for me, this is an easy Kadri decision. Okay, that's fair. I do have a question, though. You said 24 points in 27 games. Uh, that's not exactly right. Do you mean like in his last 27 games? He's got 27 points in 37 on the season. Okay, yeah, I'm looking through his game log, and I'm not sure which games I selected to get that exact. Oh, I think it was, yeah, I think that was one slice of Kadri's season um, that just showed like longer sustained production than anything Donskoy had put together so far. 
Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe just because I framed against Donskoy, and so you had to go hard for Kadri. I guess I'm thinking in a shallower league, if you could substitute Donskoy for just hot streamer, you know? Like, just someone who's doing well right now that you might want to jump on. I would be concerned, personally, as a Kadri manager, just because if he's not on the top power play, how is he any different than your Burakovskis and your Brandon Sods, really? And he's also cold. But, of course, he's got some shots lately. So I I appreciate your answer. And, yeah, Kadri's definitely a steady hand, someone I'm a little bit concerned of. But I would also, if I had to bet right now for the rest the season, I would definitely take Kadri over Donskoy. But I don't know if I would take Kadri over the streaming spot where I can keep getting the next Donskoy. And I guess another possible example of random hot free agent, and I'm not referring to looks, though who knows? I think Jared McCann's a good looking guy. Yeah, I'm talking about Jared McCann. Let's talk about him compared to like a worse version of Nazem Kadri, a player who's been scratched for his last two games and Jacob Verana. So this is more of a question of hot streamer, or do you hold on to a person because you thought he'd have higher upside, even though you're totally snoozing right now because he's literally not even playing games. But yeah, let's start with McCann. Uh, like he has been making the most of his recent top power play deployment in Pittsburgh. He scored a power play goal and took five shots in the 7-5 loss to Boston on Saturday. He's also recently got an upgrade on the second. He's been centering the second line for a while now since Malkin got hurt, but now he's got Jason Zucker back. Brian, I know you like that. Uh, Evan Rodriguez on the other wing. And McCann now has seven points in his last six games, so he's on quite a little run. He's only 17% rostered on Yahoo, while Jacob Verana is 55% rostered, which might be a bit high for a player who was healthy scratched on Friday, though, like to be on and, and today. So I'm surprised by this. I didn't expect Verana. I thought he was going to have a breakout this this year hasn't exactly been happening before the scratch Verona he'd actually started to pick things up offensively he had assists in two of his previous three games before that was pointless in four and he was seeing really bad ice time before these scratches down to 10 to 13 minutes per game so I guess it was something we could have maybe foreseen overall on the season Verona sits at 23 points in 35 games for a 54 point pace a step back from his 62 point pace in 2019-20 so I'm curious to know Brian similar to like the Canuck situation we discussed like is Verona someone you have to hold on to because of the upside or are you at a point now where it's like clearly just drop Verona, move on and grab Jared McCann, for example, if he's available because he's hot and in a good spot. I think at this point you do drop Verona and move on. And that's hard for me to say. I like Verona and I really liked what I was seeing from him. I actually traded him away maybe 10 games ago and was feeling kind of bad about it, but uh, I'm not feeling bad about it anymore. I did not see this coming, though. I'm not that brilliant. There's been, like, obviously, you know how I feel about healthy scratches, especially players with talent. I just feel, I feel like there's there's another route to this. And, and Ferrana's scratch has been, of course, surrounded by all the classic coach speak, you know, compete level, sending a message, playing the right way, et cetera, et cetera. Although what I do like about this particular scratching. If you're going to scratch a guy like Pedro Laviolette has with Jacob Verana, uh, it's it's a defined timeline, right? This isn't a day-to-day thing. It's not like with Vigneault and, and Gostas Berry's like decides uh, like uh, two hours before the game every day. Oh yeah, uh, you're going to be scratched. Oh no, you're going to play. Uh, it was very clear Verana is going to sit for a few games, uh, watch a few games uh, in the press box, and then Come on back and see if you've learned anything. What I, of course, don't like about him being scratched, even if it is for this defined timeline, is that this was supposed to be, this season, a continuation of last year's breakthrough for Verona, as you kind of hinted at, Elon. Like, he kind of broke out last year, 62-point pace, largely thanks to a bump in power play production. This year, we wanted to see him build on that. But this year, Prana has stalled. He's seeing a drop in his ice time at five on five. And even though he's gotten this great power play deployment, 
He only has three power play points in 35 games. He did more with less last year. Uh, Speaking of doing less, at 5-on-5, Rana is shooting and scoring less uh, than last season. So his 5-on-5 play hasn't been as good, but it's been covered up by some friendlier secondary assist rates and a high on-ice shooting percentage. That's all to say, Rana has played worse at 5-on-5 than the score sheet is giving him credit for, which is a red flag for me with Vrana. On the other hand, on the power play, nothing's gone right for Vrana. Low points participation, hasn't scored on 13 shots when he should probably have at least one or two goals. On the whole, Vrana is overperforming at five on five and underperforming on the power play, but probably more so the former than the latter. Like they're not going to wash out Tim being who he is right now, which is like a 55 point player. They're going to wash out to being a little less. Of course, the X factor in all of this is what does his coach think of him? Uh, we'll see if this reset helps Vrana or his coach get to a place where they need to be. Uh, I want Vrana to come back and reclaim the top power play deployment, which he lost a few games before he was scratched. Maybe that was the first warning sign uh, that Vrana was in trouble. Uh, and so I, I just... Like, I guess my concern is that he's going to come back, still be in the doghouse, still not sure how to work his way out of it. Uh, meanwhile, Jared McKinn is in nobody's doghouse. 11 points in his last 12 games and 33 shots over those 12 games, too. Also, four power play points in his last five games. That's really helped him. Played a season-high 19 minutes and 17 seconds against Boston. And uh, McCann has now been on the top power play for three games ever since Kasperi Kapanen got injured. He stepped into that role, and he's been doing pretty well there. So very Donskoy vibes from Jared McCann in that he's doing something we've never really seen him do in terms of production with deployment we've never really seen him keep, and a power play audition that seems to be going pretty well, and shot rates that have risen. So all those things put McCann in a similar category to Donskoy, but... I'm actually buying that McCann's production is a little more sustainable than Donskoy's has been. McCann's shooting percentage is high, but not as egregiously. And nobody like Kadri is nipping at McCann's heels for the power play spot. It's going to take uh, Kapanen or Malkin to be outjuried for McCann to lose his spot. So I like his security there. And that's why I think, especially from looking at a short-term impact to help get me into the playoffs and seed myself well, I'm looking at McCann. If I'm looking like further ahead, if you're crushing your league and you're looking to a, a matchup three weeks from now, maybe at that point, well, I think definitely at that point, I would prefer Verona, but in the short term, I would swap him out for Jared McCann. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna like have an easier answer of just like dump Verona. Like, who has time <laughs> to wait for scratched players? But I guess you're thinking really long term if, if this and if that and if it all goes well. Like, another thing I'm seeing is that finally Evgeny Kuznetsov gets back on the top power play and he had a power play assist today. Primary assist on an OV goal, which is how things should be, right? Like, why was Kuznetsov not on the top power play? So it, I think it'll be tough for Verona to get back. Obviously, this is up to Peter Laviolette. I get your reasons. Like, obviously, Verona gave us a lot of reasons to be into him last year and you've been into him for a while before that because he was even having high shot rates back when he used to not get the primo deploymento but uh yeah right now like if i'm playing fantasy like you and i maybe play differently but i'd rather just grab even if i'm like locked and i've got the buy set and i'm waiting like give me the guy who's doing well right now and also probably if you know someone like mccann is out there it might be possible that you could drop verana and no one will add him so you could just be the first one to grab him back if there are signs of life first sign being that he's back in the lineup and then second sign maybe being that he's on the top power play and third sign being that he actually gets a point so uh yeah i definitely like appreciate everything you said but if it was me like i don't have patience so it's just different (laughs) i definitely appreciate everything you said in your detailed seven minute breakdown of both verana and mccann but i'll take mccann yeah 
Exactly. I do. I, I thought it was very oh, useful. No, I, just, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't have patience. I can't help it. I, I, Brian, I'm the guy who dropped Eric Carlson. I dropped like uh, Tristan Jari recently. Like I just need to move on. I got to just yeah, get my next player. I hear that. And that's, I think, one of your assets as a fantasy manager. You are always ready to move on. And I don't think it comes to bite you as often, I think, because you, you're really good at making those decisions. So I think so, another manager making those decisions might get bitten more often than you do. Uh, it's a really good question quality and when I've tried to practice and I'm trying to practice it Elon I took McCann I like it I agree with okay. you yeah and uh thank you for the compliment you know it definitely does come to bite me sometimes in a negative way I still remember last year regretting dropping Victor Olafson when he was bumped off the top power play for a bit though right now he's a free agent everywhere forget about Victor Olafson all right let's get to a couple higher end players now here's one where Brian you get to do a victory lap for sure another hot versus cold battle and I want to talk about Logan Couture versus Jordan Everly and Couture started the season so hot he was basically a point per game guy in the middle of March when we talked about him on the podcast and I was like Brian this is a new Logan Couture and you're like nah I think he's gonna go back to being the regular old uh, Logan Couture well I, you know what I wish you were right I wish he went back to being the regular <laughs> old Logan Couture instead he's basically disappeared these last 13 games have seen him hit regression harder than you predicted only three points in that span he did get an assist in yesterday Saturday's 3-2 win over LA but no shots on goal I don't like that uh, he's like you know getting the same deployment as always like he's playing on the top line with Kane and LeBanc and on the top power play but his shots are way down in this recent stretch as are his points so what's going on with this guy then on the other hand we have Jordan Eberle who's someone who you've always loved uh, though I guess more recently you've you know you, we've all come to realize that Eberle's not gonna be the huge offensive superstar we thought he would be when he was traded from Edmonton for Ryan Strom actually who at the time seemed like a bad trade now Strom you'd obviously want over Eberle so that's kind of interesting obviously Edmonton doesn't reap the rewards of that at all because they moved Strom for who was it again some nobody right they traded Strom for to the Rangers oh Ryan Spooner Oh, God. Edmonton, what are you doing with these trades? Okay. Anyways, so Eberly was looking like the couture of recent times. He was super cold, only one goal in five games recently. But uh, like I mentioned, I traded Taylor Hall for him. I mainly wanted Fab, right? I traded Taylor Hall for $25 Fab, and then I got Eberly as a throw-in. And Eberly came into my lineup this past Thursday just in time for a two-goal, one-assist outburst in the shellacking of the Caps on Thursday. He followed that up with another assist on Saturday. Uh, so yeah, hard to expect Eberly to go cold for long when he's playing with Barzal and even strengthen on the power play so it was surprising that he did but I kind of have faith in him Couture though is also in a good spot and he's supposed to be better so I'm very interested to know after you of course you brag about how you called that Couture was going to slow down I'm actually like the, the last few I've been pretty confident what your answer was going to be here I'm actually not sure who you're going to take between Couture and Everly Okay. All right. That's great. I love being able to surprise you. But obviously, it's not surprising to you that I do want to take this moment. I'm glad you called back to the moment where you thought we were seeing a new Logan Couture. And I think he's on a 75-point pace that he started the year on, 22 points in 24 games, which was great. But I did point out that there was no way that would be the case. So thank you for giving me this one moment here to say, I told you so. I told you so. And now I'll also acknowledge that I would have never predicted Logan Couture getting this cold now. Uh, no one would have. This is not how regression works, right? Being hot doesn't mean you need to be cold later. It just means that you're overperforming for now and you don't need to be awful to balance it out the way that Couture has been doing. So my take is actually almost identical on cold couture as it was to hot couture, which is that Logan Couture is a very predictable 65-point player, plus or minus five points, though 
I do see something that concerns me enough to think that rest of the season, we're going to see Couture closer to 60 points than 70 points. And that's something you already mentioned, Elon. It's in Couture's shots on goal. In his great run to start the season, he was averaging two and a half shots per game. Now, when he has just three points in his last 13, he's seeing fewer than two shots per game, just 24 shots in 13 games. And here's the really curious part, Elon. He's seeing uh, two minutes less per night in ice time. We did see a tweet from Shang Peng at San Jose Hockey Now about how there are so many sharks playing through injury right now. And I'm willing to bet just based on these decreased shot rates and this like two minute drop and use it just pretty substantial, especially on a team that doesn't have a lot of other options at their disposal. Uh, I'm willing to bet that Couture is definitely one of the more injury affected players right now. And that concerns me for being able to rely on him for that usually reliable 65 points. And for me, that puts him closer to 60 points, honestly, maybe even 55. I'm worried about you, Logan. Uh, let us know if you're okay. Maybe take a couple good days off at some point, because San Jose does have a really busy schedule. Meanwhile, Jordan Eberle is a different kind of reliable, reliably 55 to 60 point player, the same way Couture is reliably 65 points. But I think Eberle is actually closer to 60 points this year. So on the high end of that reliable range, even though Eberle's pace is currently just for 54 points on the season, that's honestly, I think it's because he's only managed four power play points in 38 games. But Eberle is still on the top unit. He's still shooting, but only scoring on 6% of his power play shots versus his usual 15%. His whole unit is actually struggling somewhat. The Isles with Eberle on the ice are down below 10% shooting on the power play, which is not good. And I assume will just be better the rest of the season because that's the way it should be. Like I was saying about Vegas earlier in the season. So if you're asking me about Eberle versus Couture, I think I'm going to take the steadiness of Eberle versus the sudden unsteadiness of Logan Couture. Damn. Eberly, who I got as a throw-in, versus Couture, who I've been relying on to be one of my stars. So that's a... I'm reeling a little bit, but <laughs> I, I uh, honestly, like you, you could go either way. I could be wrong about Couture being injured. It just seems like all the signs are there. And there's not a lot of room for him to rest and recover between games. Like, there's not a super light week for San Jose coming up. Okay, so yeah, maybe a hot take is Couture generally isn't that slow, but this is what we've seen lately, and you're saying it'll continue. I thought you'd go just go back to saying, you know, you're regular. Yeah, he's I'm not going to say he's, he's going to be yeah. this bad, but normally I'd say he's 65 points, and I think he's probably 55, 60 points, which is the same we can expect from Eberle. So I yeah. guess you could you could bank on Couture doing, you know, Couture's floor being close to what Eberle's capable of, and then being able to overcome it uh, if he's not actually injured or whatever, like he, like... Whatever's happening now doesn't keep happening. Uh, his ceiling is higher than Eberle's, but I almost feel like this is a this is a, a lighter version of Strom versus Tavares. Yeah, damn. Yeah, so okay. I guess we'll see. I hope you're wrong. I mean, I'm, I have both in my couple teams, so I guess I, I'll be happy if Everly. But I, you know, I still want Couture to get back to what he was doing before. Yeah, this injury thing is obviously concerning. And to be fair, you don't know anything. If you're just saying that Sheng Peng's had some sharks are injured. Couture might be yeah. just fine, and he might just be not shooting for whatever totally. reason. I'm just putting two and two and two together, and those are the shot rates. Uh, the tweet from Shang and the two-minute drop in ice time. Fair. All right. So next, let's do now a deep league 
uh, question because we've done a lot of players that people are like, okay, I don't have Couture Everly available in my league. We have like 20 teams and 15 players per team. So here's one for you. Sticking on the Sharks, how about we look at Rudolph's Balsers and compare him to a guy on the Red Wings, Adam Ernie. So you might be thinking, why are we talking about these people? Well, I'll give you a reason. Adam Ernie had a power play assist today in the shocking win over Tampa. Uh, that gives him a three-game point streak, and he's been playing on the top power play on Detroit with Larkin, Zadina, Rasmussen, and Hironik. Uh, he's playing on an even-strength line with Hellman Nielsen, which doesn't sound great, but uh, you know, he's getting points. He's on the top power play. He's someone whose name I keep seeing on the score sheet, so I figured I might as well bring him up. Then, uh, Balsers on San Jose, he's also on a hot streak. He's got four points in his last three games, and he's playing on the second line on the Sharks with Hurdle and Meyer, and obviously this is during the stretch like we've discussed already, that the Sharks are on a hot streak, so I don't see Balsers getting bumped anytime soon. I think uh, Patrick Marlowe was there for a bit. Obviously, that wasn't going to last. So, uh, I don't know. I probably you're going to not be overly excited about either of these guys, but curious to know if you have a strong hunch about which way you would lean here. I think I would lean ever so slightly to Balsers. Both guys kind of make me shrug, but I see Rudolph's Balsers as maybe a Kevin LeBanc light type player he's 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 like kevin lebank except he shoots about half a shot per game less and is on a pace that's only five points uh lower than what kevin lebank is pacing for balser's been like steady ish as a depth score with 11 points in his last 17 games and his time on ice has been steadily creeping up and at five on five even though he doesn't get any power play time at five on five balser's is playing with timo meyer and Tomas Hurdle. So that's pretty nice company to be keeping. Uh, there's really nowhere that Adam Ernie can actually get similar deployment. He's been on the top power play for about four or five games now, even though he only cashed in there for the first time today. So I'm not like overly excited about that. And his time on ice, like Balser's is, has also creeped up from fourth line to middle six minutes. But I just don't love the regular opportunities that are even available to him in Detroit as much as I'm interested by Balsers playing with Meyer and Hurdle. So really, uh, I'd rather not have to rely on any of these guys in most formats. But if you're in a deep enough league that you're deciding between these two, I will go with Rudolph's Balsers. Well, how about that? Some people are in these leagues. And so you're coming to Keeping Carlson. We're trying to run the gamut here from medium guys like your Everlies to your high-end guys like Tavares. And now we're even talking about Rudolph's Balsers, who's Brian's pick. You didn't tell me who your pick was of these two. Yeah, I think I like uh, Balsers also. But also, like, it's so weird that Detroit doesn't have Anthony Mantha on the top power play. Like, I, I at this point, like, there's... And Mantha's actually doing well lately. He's been getting points. So, so, I, so that's... Uh, like, so I thought that going into our recording today, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've seen Mantha's uh, number come up on the box score a little bit more lately. And he did have two points against Tampa today, which really helped solidify it. But I looked before that game started, and I saw he only had three points in his last uh, nine or eight games before today. But throw that multi-point effort in there. Uh, good for him. Only one shot? I don't know. I guess, uh, I guess. look, there's. it can only go up from here for Mantha, right? Yeah. He's on a 42-point pace. That's lower than Rudolph's Balser's point pace this season. Yeah, I'm definitely not saying that Mantha is about to tear it up because of this good game today versus... How, by the way, how did Detroit beat Tampa with Thomas Grice in net? It's not even the first time they've done it. It's honestly like this just goes to show that we shouldn't be spending so much time talking about goalies because I would have not in a million years predicted that Grice was someone worth streaming in for a game against Tampa. And here we are. Maybe it was partially because Tampa Tampa played Christopher Gibson instead of That's Chris true. McElhaney, their, their third stringer. So that doesn't 
explain, like, that would probably up the pressure on Tomasz Greis. So, uh, yeah, very interesting. I mean, cool. I guess he's a goalie. Yeah, these are, like, NHL goalies, right? So even, like, if you're doing badly, like, you're still obviously, like, one of the best in the world at doing this thing of being a goalie. So obviously, if you're in the NHL, you're capable of having a good game, right? Yeah. I'm sure we could think of other examples. I used to think Michael Hutchinson is someone who can't, like, ever have a good game. And he's had a couple good ones this season. So who knows? Thomas Grice, anyone can do it. If they're in the NHL, I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's go now to a couple high-end guys. Uh, let's, so I want to talk about a player who has recently returned from an injury, and that's Patrick Hornqvist, who came right back to the Florida lineup uh, on Saturday and again today, along with Alex Barkov. So Florida's definitely happy to get those guys back. Unfortunately, they're not going to be getting Aaron Ekblad back this season, but they didn't need Ekblad today to beat Columbus 3-0, a very dominant win, a shutout for Chris Driedger, and Barkov and Hornqvist. Hornqvist, you know, just right back on track, right? Barkov had a goal and assist in five shots. Hornqvist was with an assist in five shots. Barkov, there's no point of doing a would you rather with him. He's one of the top in the league to have on your fantasy team. Hornqvist, I want to compare him to someone who we've talked about a lot this season, and he's really given us a roller coaster ride here, and that's Kevin Fiala over in Minnesota. And Brian, here's another one that you called, right? Last time he was cold, I brought him up, and you were saying, okay, finally, I'm starting to see reasons why he's going to be hot. And then after that, he went cold again. I was like, ah, I don't know what this Kevin Fiala, but right now, I'm liking what I'm seeing. Okay, so first of all, I like that Minnesota's loading up their power play with four forwards and one D. Uh, Kaprizov, Fiala, Rask, Benino, and Spurgeon. Man, I've got uh, some sirens going on here. Who am I? Dmitry Filipovich? Do you hear this, Brian? They're finally coming for you for picking Donskoy over Kadri. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm talking about Fiala here. So, he's on a good power play. Because before we remember, Minnesota was sort of like splitting it. Kind of like a Vegas situation where finally they're going with their best players on the top power play. Uh, you know, obviously, Parisi would be there, Brian, if he wasn't, you know, on the COVID protocol list. Of but, course. Uh, okay. He's actually, he's coming back soon. Oh, yeah. So, watch out. And Minnesota has a good schedule. Uh, by the way, another side note is Jared Spurgeon back on the top power play. Uh, Dave mentioned that on Stream Scheme today, which, by the way, you need to check out. Next week is a wild week. There's a couple teams with five games. Uh, there's a couple teams with bad schedules. So listen to Dave and get your predictions for who you should be streaming and to maximize your rosters on a potential critical playoff week. But okay. We've actually, uh, <laughs> if you don't mind me going off sure. on a tangent on tangent, we've already mentioned uh two or three actually three players by name who have been mentioned on the stream scheme this week i'll mention jordan eberly is uh is dave's shallow league streamer of the week but if you want the ludicrous streamer of the week you got to go listen to stream scheme in the show notes find out which players from a team with five games played this week uh you want yeah, I love stream scheme. Like I listen, like I'm not just saying that because I know Dave and, and you know we're helping. I guess whatever you call it. what. What do we do on this show? I basically just take the show and post it. But like I'm going to call myself a producer because isn't that what happens in Hollywood? You just call yourself, you know, you attach your name. Executive producer. Yeah, I'm an executive producer of the stream scheme. <laughs> anyway, okay, going way back, I'm talking about Kevin Fiala versus Patrick Hornquist, and with Fiala, yeah. So his even strength deployment lately has been with Rask and Benino, which isn't ideal, but you can't argue with the recent results. He's hot lately. Uh, and another side note is might be time to get back on. Since we're just doing all side notes for this <laughs> section of the podcast, uh, Joel Erickson Eck and Jordan Greenway are playing with Kaprizov. So those are guys that were hot for a long time and then went cold and they were like not playing with Fiala or Kaprizov for a while. But, you know, that line scored a goal on Saturday's game with Erickson Eck putting the biscuit in the basket. So if Erickson Eck's been dropped in your league, like I like anyone playing with Kaprizov. Kaprizov is like one of my new favorites ever since I pulled his Young Guns card on a recent episode of the Near Mint uh, Hockey Card Podcast. Okay, so that's Fiala. 
Brian, you've always loved Fiala. Uh, even when he's been cold this year, you've said he'll be fine. And right now, this is coming true. Then we have Hornquist, though. Can't, do you love Fiala enough to even take him over? Patrick Hornquist, who, like I said, uh, he got right back on the score sheet on Saturday. Again today, he's playing with Huberdo. He's on the top power play. Like, just everything Hornquist has done this year has been amazing. I've loved having him. He's been one of the best, like, late draft, you know, options. A lot of people didn't take him high. And are, you know, the people who did take him are definitely enjoying their lives. So, Brian, who's your pick? Horkvist versus Fiala. I feel like this is a heavyweight bout. You know how steadfastly I have supported Kevin Fiala this season. And uh, I, I give anyone who still has him on their roster and has been through the low lows a pat on the back, especially because the lowest lows for Fiala came pretty recently, like back in the second week of March, just before Fiala turned on uh, this this gear that got him to his hot streak. Kevin Fiala posted his three lowest ice times of the year, and he had just 15 shots over 10 games. Compare that with having 72 shots over the previous 20 games. That's a massive drop and something that could have been the straw that broke the camel's back for anybody who rostered Kevin Fiala all season, but like, now his ice time and his shots are gone. What's the point anymore? But it seems that Fiala has corrected that lately with four shots in each of his last three games. Fiala also has three power play points on Minnesota's last seven power play goals, which have happened on their last 37 opportunities, which has happened since we pointed out that Minnesota had had a really, really unlucky power play in our midseason surprises episode. So things seem to be on the up and up for Kevin Fiala and that Minnesota power play with all that said, I'm going Patrick Hornquist here. If I had to pick between them, and I would not have anticipated myself saying this at the start of the year or even a month into the year, but what Hornquist has been doing this year is just undeniable. He's on a 63-point pace this season, which isn't even anything fancy, and a lot of it is thanks to the best power play production we've seen from him in a, him in a few years, and that's that's a good thing, right? He's back producing on the power play. Remember the years where he did that in Pittsburgh? He's doing it again in Florida, and he's got that value back because of it. The reason that I'm even more behind Hornquist than the 63-point pace is I think uh, Hornquist, his play could actually exceed that pace the rest of the season. I could see him being a 70-plus point guy the rest of the way if I'm looking at the bigger Hornquist picture and being like, maybe uh, maybe a shooting percentage could be better here. And maybe the variance could be better here too. Um, and then if you're looking at Fiala, the saving grace has been those shots on goal that he's had most of the season. Hornquist has those already himself. Uh, four or more shots for Hornquist in six of his last seven games. So he's got everything that Fiala uh, is supposed to have. And this year, even more. So I will take Patrick Hornquist over Kevin Fiala. Okay, yeah, easy answer, right? I had to throw a lob there. I definitely agree with you. How can you not love Hornfist right now? I'm glad that he's back healthy. It was uh, Zadorov that gave him that, that crazy body check that knocked him out for a week. Zadorov's been injuring lots of people, so please keep Zadorov away from all of my <laughs> fantasy players on my teams. Okay, so I, I want to stick in Florida, actually, because Hornquist, Barkov, Huberdo, you know, they're awesome. You know, we've talked about Carter Verhage a ton, but there's a couple new guys that are hot lately that I wanted to get your thoughts on. So here's another matchup between two teammates. I want to get your take on Alex Wenberg versus Frank Vitrano. So uh, Wenberg, he's on fire lately. So he's playing with Huberdo and Hornquist, two like amazing players. And he's been on the top power play lately, which is really great. So it's like Hornquist, uh, Huberdo, Barkov... 
and Wenberg, and then with Keith Yandel. So obviously, we were last week trying to just figure out like what's the impact, the fantasy impact of Ekblad being out for the season. Looks like Wenberg getting his spot on the top power play is the answer, at least for now. Uh, so that's a great reason to like Wenberg. Then we have Frank Vitrano, who has now scored a goal in three straight games. And Vitrano does this, right? He's done this earlier on in the season, going on a hot streak. Yeah, he's on the third line. Yeah, he's on the second power play. But when he's hot, he's hot. He had another goal today in the win over Columbus. So what do you think, Brian? Do you go with the better deployment with, you know, just looking at Frozen Tools? You'd be like, okay, of course I want Wenberg, a better line and a better power play. But then I'm looking at Vitrano, who's taking a lot of shots, which we like. And he's obviously been a more reliable person overall on the season. So what's your pick? It's really funny that Wenberg has made himself this fantasy relevant player by scoring goals. Like, why does this, why is this happening? Yes, Wenberg got a hat trick plus a goal in the game before he got a hat trick. But Alex Wenberg is not a scorer. He's not even a shooter. He scored his four goals on five shots. And then do you know what he did, Elon, in the game after Wenberg scored a hat trick? I'm going to guess he did nothing. Well, yeah, he did nothing. And that's a given. But after scoring three goals on four shots, you might think, hey, Alex Wenberg is probably going to try and shoot once more in his next game. No, zero shots on goal. The game after he scores three times. How many hat tricks have ever been followed up? with zero shots on goal the next game. That is classic Alex Wenberg, who we expect to be more of an assist getter anyway. So I'm looking down the assist column being like, oh, what's Wenberg been doing there? Uh, Nothing. Three assists in his last 24 games, zero assists in his last 11 games, seven assists in 39 games on the season. His deployment is great, but it's been good before this season and he hasn't done anything with it. So no thank you on Alex Wenberg, who does not shoot the game after he scores a hat trick. And yes, please, to Frank Vitrano, who is this season's streamer of the year, right? How many different teams in everyone's league has Frank Vitrano found himself on at one point or another, thanks to Florida's off-day schedules that pop up pretty regularly, plus just his general uh, upside for shooting and scoring, uh, plus his often uh, result of not actually scoring. Uh, But lately, Vetrano's doing that. Three goals on 16 shots in his last three games. He'd gone cold and had limited ice time, and he's on the third line. But so long as Vetrano's shooting, he's doing what you want Vetrano to do. So I am not swayed at all by Alex Wenberg's uh, hat trick. Uh, And as you know why. Also, I should mention, uh, someone I'd also prefer to Alex Wenberg is Owen Tippett, who has a golden four assist in his last eight games and had a nine shot game a couple weeks back. He's been pretty quiet in the shots on goal column since then, but he is putting up points at a slightly more regular pace than Alex Wenberg has been. So if I were to rank my Florida streamers, Owen Tippett would be ahead of Alex Wenberg. Heck, even Mason Marchment might be ahead of Alex Wenberg. Man. I mean, yeah, I know that he had a hat trick and that's not going to happen again, but I just, like, you know, I was, I don't even think I mentioned that. I'm, like, mainly just swayed by him being on a line with Hornfist and Huberdo and being on the top power play. I feel like that makes me more interested in him than Tippett and Marchman. He's been here before, though. Do you know not on the top power, Not on he's, the top power play. He's been on the top power play for the last eight games. What? He's, he's one point. Oh, right. Well, okay. But then that, like, Barkov and Hornfist were out. Like, I'm talking about on this version of the top power play. That's kind of interesting to me. So that might be reason to be a little more interested again. But... Honestly, I, you know, I've been through this with Wenberg. I was, I was, I was standing for Wenberg back in Columbus when they wouldn't use him as the top line center, even the second line center the year after I thought 
he was like giving us signs of a breakout. He's now 26 years old. He's never done a whole lot outside of that third season uh, where he paced for 60 points. And yeah. Uh, yeah, he scored 59 points in 80 games. Very impressive. But that's, I feel like that's as, that's as ready as I am to ever endorse Alex Wenberg is to say, remember what he did four years ago and he's done nothing since? Yeah, maybe he'll get lucky. I mean, yeah. So for me, it's just like, I'm going to ignore, like, yeah, I, I'm on the same page. Like, I'm not expecting big things yeah. from Alex Wenberg. I'm just saying, like, you know, who cares what happened over the last couple of weeks or like most of the year? Like, if he's playing with these two players yes. who we love in Huber and Horkvist, and if he's on the top power play, he might luck into some assists. I think okay, it's going to happen. Okay, so Jared McCann or Alex Wenberg? McCann. Yeah, okay. Okay. Would you prefer Wenberg to anyone else we've talked about? Ernie, Balsers? Yes, I'd take Wenberg over Ernie and Balsers. But not Donskoy. Mm, no, not Donsko. Because no Donsko is also on the top power play. Yeah. Okay. So of all the guys we've mentioned on the show tonight, Wenberg is uh, one of the worst. Okay. Sure. I know you want to make sure to put that in there. This name the episode title could just be Wenberg is the worst, and then you'll be happy. All right. I'm just uh, making up for all the times that I, I had faith in him. He burned fair. me. You know, Wenberg, you blew it too many times. Stop crying wolf with these hat tricks, okay? Brian's not buying into it anymore. <laughs> Hell hath no fury like a Brian scorned. So let's get back to the high end, guys, here. I want to run a couple defensemen by you. Uh, one of them also, I, this is going to be another opportunity for you to be like I told you so, but not about Adam Fox, because he's been great at the start of the year, he's been great in the middle of the year, and he's been especially great lately. Adam Fox has been amazing. He's on a run currently with 18 points in his last 10 games. Yes, you heard that right. I guess we mentioned before about Ryan Strom. I guess it would have been smart of me to just bring up Fox then, like Panarin is hot. Like, just the Rangers are scoring a lot of goals recently, and Fox has clearly stepped up as not only the top power play defenseman on the Rangers, but maybe one of the top defensemen in the league, at least for yeah. fantasy, but also like not because he's like apparently a really good defenseman just in general. Yeah. Uh, 33 points in 36 games on the season now. That puts him in second in D scoring behind only Victor Hedman, which means Fox is ahead of John Carlson, Dougie Hamilton, Tyson Barry, Shea Theodore, Chris Letang. The only other player that probably should be in that conversation is Kale McCarr because he has a higher point pace than both uh, Hedman and Fox, but unfortunately he's missed some time. Uh, but yeah, like re- like Fox is right in that conversation, so I think this is going to be an easy one. But the flip side, I want to bring up Jeff Petrie, who was among the top of all of the defensemen in the league, you know, a couple months into the season. He was doing amazing, and especially with the peripherals. He was just blowing everyone out of the water, but he's gone cold lately. He's pointless in four games, only two assists in his last seven games, plus if your league counts, plus minus. You definitely didn't enjoy that minus five that he dropped on you in the 6-3 loss to Ottawa on Saturday. Uh, so Brian, I think that you're going to say Fox over Petrie. So it's more like, I just wanted to, you know, shoehorn a Petrie conversation in here to see if you think he's going to keep being the slow, but I also would just love to ask you in general for Adam Fox, like, where is he going to rank next year in people's draft list? Do you take him as like the second, third defenseman in fantasy? He's way, way, way up there. I'm trying to find reasons to tell you that Adam Fox is 39 power play point pace is not going to sustain. Uh, I don't like, oh, it's not going to sustain. Okay. But he's not going to be that far off. Like he is looking very clearly like a 30 plus power play point guy, plus some fantastic five on five production as well. And he's someone, like you said, Elon has been consistent, uh, almost all year. At the start of the year, he had a bit of a slow patch when he first ended up on the top unit, but since then has just been gangbusters, especially getting in on so much of this crazy Rangers production lately, up to that 75-point pace that he's on now. And I have nothing bad to say 
about Adam Fox. I'm really excited for like we us to have another really high end fantasy option. So uh yeah, I'm still like as I say this, I'm browsing through his numbers and just flipping like, but is there one cap? No, there's not. Uh he's been really, really outstanding. Again, basically getting a power play point every other night. A power play point every other night. Uh, meanwhile, Jeff Petrie is someone we've talked about this, Elon, I think he started the year way too hot. Well, he continued the year well, way too hot. Petrie is like a 45 point guy with nice peripherals. He was never going to be what the 30 goal scorer he was briefly on pace to be right now. He's still on a 65 point pace, even with this recent cold streak. And that just speaks to how crazy, ridiculously good his initial run was, which was not going to continue, which again, like Couture doesn't mean that he's got to be really awful to balance things out. Uh, It just means that uh, he's going to be a 45 point player the rest of the way. So I wouldn't predict him to stay this cold, but I also don't think he's going to be anywhere near the value he gave you at the start of the season. Oh, I remember what I wanted to say about Adam Fox uh, as another good thing. Uh, here's a, a fun fact, Elon, that I'm not sure you would have known. The New York Rangers, remember every year, Colorado is the team that draws the most uh, power plays. Oh, yes, I do recall that. So this year, second highest number of power play opportunities goes to the New York Rangers, uh, which is one reason why I think Adam Fox has been able to have so much power play success. I haven't looked into who exactly is doing the heavy lifting here and drawing penalties, but Adam Fox is averaging over four minutes of power play time per night. And so that's one of the reasons that he's been able to put up as many power play points as he has just so many opportunities for the Rangers this year. So good for them and good for Adam Fox for taking advantage. You know, and the crazy thing is the Rangers should get better, right? Like you'd think like in just in terms of overall goals, like Capo Caco, like Lafreniere, like these players are all going to get better. Oh man, this Rangers team. I'm excited about them. Now's a good time to be a Rangers fan. They might not make the playoffs this year, but obviously high, high upside with Adam Fox now, just (laughs) really breaking out. Having some severe deja vu. With you saying that, like, yeah, at the start of I say it a lot. Like, last season, at the start of this season, it could actually be true. That might be the last time we say it. <laughs> well, the thing is, even like going into this season, I wasn't saying they have like a top three defenseman in the league. Now, all of a sudden, like, that's changed. Now, Adam Fox is like for real one of the best. Like, I could see myself drafting him. Like, if I'm in a fantasy draft next year, yeah, maybe I'll take Kale McCarr. I think I would actually take Fox over like a headman for next year. Like, you know, just in terms of the upside. I don't know. Like, I think it's a good... Like, well, obviously, we'll have a whole offseason to debate, like, you know, rankings for next year. But that'll be a fun discussion for sure to see where Fox ranks. Just to close the loop on another fun discussion, do you want to guess who's drawn the most penalties for the Rangers this year? Someone, like, I wouldn't expect... Or no, actually, no. Let me say someone I would expect. Uh, Panarin. Someone really good. No. He's actually weighed... He's drawn two penalties all season okay. long. Chris Kreider. Uh, no, six penalties. He ranks tied for six. Okay, tell me this. Is it, like, a good player that, like, no. we talk about a lot? Okay, Colin Blackwell. <laughs> no, not him either. <laughs> All right, give it to me. Uh, well, no longer New York Rangers. Maybe that's not why you didn't think of him. Brendan Lemieux uh, oh. has drawn nine. Brendan Smith has drawn nine. Julian Gauthier has drawn eight. And Ryan Strom, eight, and Buchnevich seven are the five highest penalty drawers uh, on New York, one of the top penalty-drawing teams in the league. So there you go. It's an underrated skill. Maybe that should be a fantasy category. Penalties drawn. I've, you know I've been advocating for this. Uh, I did not know. Or I probably knew and forgot. I forgot Penalty plus minus would be incredible. Penalties taken minus penalties drawn. Oh, yeah. Okay. I like it. 
Okay, yeah, because penalty minutes is like a weird category also beyond just like is it helping you or hurting you. We've had that discussion a million times. But also it's weird how it's like, you know, a five-minute penalty or like a 15-minute penalty is like basically you win your week in penalty minutes if it's a categories league. Like I think it's just be like a penalty is a penalty, right? Penalties drawn. How many penalties did you draw? It doesn't matter if it was a four-minute or a five-minute or a 15-minute. Anyway, okay. Uh, let's do another defensive matchup here a little lower down the list. I want to talk about a couple Chicago Blackhawks in Adam Boakvist and Connor Murphy, a classic fantasy decision. Are you going to go for points upside or are you going to go for certain perifs? Because Adam Bogvist, like on the surface, like, so he went hot at the start of March, right? He had this hot run. We talked about him on the show. We said you should probably go and grab him. And since then, he's done nothing. But everything like that I care about, like, he should still be hot, right? I, I'd like to know why not. He's all, he's stayed on the top power play the whole time. His minutes have gone up since then. So it's like everything we were hoping for at the beginning of the year. Bogvist has been getting all the opportunities, but now he only has one assist in his last 10 games. Meanwhile, Brian, this is actually fun because you had Adam Bokvist in the cupful. And I remember often you would like, you know, you message me and you're like, who should I drop? Like, you know, I want to add someone. Who do you think I should drop? You know, we like help ask each other this question all the time. And you had uh, Connor Murphy forever. And I was always, my first instinct was well, probably Connor Murphy. But then like I would look or like you would tell me like, nah, he's like solid. He's just getting me solid points every game. Uh, so eventually he became a free agent in tier one Sweden. And, you know, I, even though he had been cold for a while, even with the Paris, I just remembered the Brian love for Connor Murphy. And that convinced me to add him. And ever since I did, he's been awesome. Like he's just getting you two shots, like a couple blocks, a couple hits. He even has four assists in his last seven games. So he's blowing Bokefist out of the water, even for offense, which is not what you'd expect. So Brian, I'm very curious to know, Lewis, uh, from the Short Shifts podcast, had Bokefist and Kapoor dropped him today. Do I need to consider swapping to get that top power play upside, or should I stick with my safe Perifs guy? Stick with your safe Perifs guy in Connor Murphy. I have boosted him uh, at least since last season as being someone. Last season, he was actually even more effective as a peripheral getter. This season, not quite as much, and I wonder if that's because Chicago has cleaned up their game a little bit defensively. But I will take Connor Murphy's peripherals over Adam Bokvist's points because Bokvist, for all his power play one opportunity, over the last month and 15 games, he has six points. Connor Murphy, over the last month and 15 games, has four points, which over a month, over 15 games, those two points are not a big difference. Neither one can or should be relied on for their production. So you can at least rely on Connor Murphy for his peripherals. I would say if you see Bokvist starting to go on a run again, then you can go ahead and make that swap. But I wouldn't preempt it until I see it actually happening. I'd be very happy to just sit tight with Connor Murphy's peripherals. Yeah, like, I agree with you. And like, that's what my head says. That's my heart says. Like, everything says that. But I guess the question is kind of like I ask myself when I really like try to take a look from above. It's like, if I was a robot, it's like, what's the difference between if Bokefist gets a power play point in the next game or doesn't? Like, the following game, he still should have the same chance of getting a power play points as he had going into next game. Right. But at some point, it's an indication of how successful he's going to be on the power play. Right. So you're saying you want to see him get a couple points. I just feel like if, if people follow that advice, he's going to, you know, he's going to be in free agency. He's going to get a couple points. People are going to add him and then he'll go cold again because like uh, that's what seems to happen. So it's really hard. I guess what we're saying is like we don't have much faith in Adam Bokvist, right? Like you're going to have to see right. a lot of production to change your mind. Otherwise, maybe don't just rush to get him if he gets points in a couple games in a row because he's had this opportunity this whole time and has done nothing. Yeah, exactly. Bokvist has had two weeks all season of steady power play production, which either tells us he's capable of doing it all season long and he just has end for the last uh, 10, 12 games, or it tells us that that's all he's capable of actually accomplishing. And we don't know the answer yet because we haven't seen enough of Adam Bokvist in the NHL or on that top power play yet. But at this point, uh, I'm going to have to say, show me. 
uh, yeah. before he's added to my roster. And maybe I'll jump on him if I see, like, one point. Okay, good. Like, it depends on your threshold. But I'm not going to go and hold him because he does literally nothing else. Okay, so, Brian, before I get to our last matchup of the episode, do you want to change your vote on Petrangelo versus Chikorin? Because Jacob <laughs> Chikorin just scored a goal! Woo! No. <laughs> okay, still Petrangelo. Do you, who, did you even say your vote for that one? I thought, yeah, I agreed with you on Petrangelo. Okay. Now I changed my mind. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I'm very happy that Chikrin's, uh, you know, hopefully going to start getting something going. All right. I actually had this earlier planned, but I moved it because I wanted to wait till the end of the Carolina Hurricanes game to discuss this last one. There's two minutes left. I almost made it. So maybe by the time we're done this discussion, the game will be over. But I want to do a couple goalies here. And we have to talk about... Petr Mrazek, who returned finally. Like, how many times have we seen tweets saying Petr Mrazek is close to returning from that thumb injury? It's just been like weeks and weeks of like, he's coming any day now. But today, Sunday, April 4th, Petr Mrazek returned versus Dallas. And with two minutes left in the game, Carolina is currently up one nothing. He's got a shutout running. So I guess I'm jinxing it. Uh, he's got 25 saves. And uh, that's obviously the best return you could hope for. So hopefully if you had him stash, you got him in for today's game. And I'm curious to know, Brian, like how high should we be on him? I put him here versus uh, Jonathan Bernier as the matchup. as like two injured guys. That w- I wasn't realizing when I prepped yesterday that Mrazek would actually return. So I was planning on this being a discussion of two guys who are probably going to be back soon. Because the news is Jonathan Bernier is practicing and he's going to potentially be back soon. So maybe next week we'll be talking about Jonathan Bernier being back in the lineup. I know like you would say for sure Mrazek has a better shot at getting wins because Carolina is a much better team than Detroit though the argument that we've always had against these Carolina goalies is they don't let in a lot of shots which makes it really hard for them to have a really good save percentage unless you know they're getting a shutout obviously like Alex Nedeljkovic has you know had a couple sub 900 save percentage games lately even though he only let in three and two goals versus Chicago and Dallas. Same for Reimer on Thursday versus Chicago. He stopped only 22 of 25 in the 4-3 win so you basically have to let in two goals or less to have a good game on Carolina and not blow your save percentage. And I had assumed that'll be the same for Morazic. Like, like he's a you know victim of the team being so good that there's so few shots against that you have to save almost all of them to have a good save percentage. So with that in consideration, is it still a runaway of Morazic over Bernie? I guess the other question is like, what's Carolina going to do because they have three goalies now? Unless they trade someone at the deadline, how many starts is Morazic even going to get? You'd think Bernie is going to get the lion's share of starts once he's back. So maybe it's still kind of interesting, though. I'd imagine you're going to say Morazic. Uh, you, you, uh, I, <laughs> that's me not knowing what I'm going to say before you ask me the question. Even though you told me you were going <laughs> to ask me this, I think I would prefer. So a lot hangs in the air, uh, because I don't know that Jonathan Bernier is going to play again for Detroit. Like this return from injury seems to be coming along really slowly. And I, I honestly, I half wonder if the Red Wings just aren't playing him. Well, one, because they're tanking and two, because he's going to get traded and they don't want to risk him being re-injured. Uh, I would think if I'm trading for him, I'd love to see him in one healthy game, or maybe there's some other way for the Red Wings to, to offer proof that Jonathan Bernier is, is healed and ready to go before they trade him. But that's my concern with Jonathan Bernier is just, you might still wait another week or more before uh, he's able to start another game. So that would be reason to look at Petr who does have that 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 Carolina curse of if you're a good goalie, you still aren't guaranteed good numbers. Actually, Mason uh, on our Discord server 
earlier this week, uh, coined a, a performance of 20 saves with three goals against and a win, the James Reimer, which is exactly what it is. That's the Carolina goalie. Uh, like you said, if you're you're not going to get a whole lot of shots against, you might give up two or three goals. Your save percentage might still not be good. And hopefully you get the win. Uh, and also, Carolina has this complicated goalie situation right now where uh, Nedeljkovic had been good. Uh, now he's been bad his last two games. So that op- well, bad in the Carolina way. The last couple games that's opened the door nice and wide for Mrazek to just walk in and take the job. But they've got Mrazek, Reimer, and Nedeljkovic. And this is a team that's never committed to one goalie that is rarely even committed to two goalies. Uh, so we'll see what that means for starts down the stretch. And that makes me nervous about having Mrazek on my roster because I'm just burning a spot for a guy who's going to play once every other game, probably, I think, I don't even know, versus Bernier, who in Detroit should play every game if he stays in Detroit. So honestly, this one's uh, this one for me, uh, uh, you tell me if this is too much of a cop-out. I guess it is um, because you want an answer. I was going to say it's, it's too close to call. There's too many unknowns here. Is Bernier going to play again in Detroit? Uh, what's Caroline going to do with their three goalies? Both of those answers are going to influence my choice. If I have to choose today for the rest of the season based off the information I have now, uh, I think I'd go, I think I'll go Morazic, but it's really close. Like I could go Bernier. Ask me an hour later. I'll probably say Bernier. You love Bernier too much, I think. <laughs> like I think it's I went clear. from hating Jonathan Bernier to loving him too much. I mean, this is I mean, yeah, he's still on Detroit, right? And yeah, you're saying he might get traded, but if he gets traded, he's gonna be a backup. So I feel like either you have the goalie on Detroit or you have a backup, and I know he's been good this season, he was decent last year, but I think Mrazic is pretty exciting right now. And he's a guy actually who I've used to really have no faith in, in the past, but he had a really good start to this year, and now he, the shutout is confirmed. He's shut out Dallas in his return, which is very exciting. Who is this? Jack Campbell? come back from an injury they're gonna shut out in your first game amazing who would have thought in this episode the two goalies we'd be boosting are campbell and marazic going into the season elon i'll just point out it was against dallas oh yeah of course so that was basically a guaranteed shutout but he did make 28 saves so dallas did try to get something by him and five of them were on jason robertson which we'll give him full credit for all right jason robertson's been so good so good once he doesn't play against Petr Mrazek, he's going to start piling up those points again. Don't you worry. So, okay. Uh, that's it, Brian, for the show. Okay. Just to make it more complicated for you, Martin Jones versus Petr Mrazek. Now you're going to really cry. Martin Jones. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm okay. going to take, I'll take the chance. Assuming that I'm probably going to end up dropping one of these guys anyway, I'll take the chance. Yeah, I guess it also, this one really comes down to your league settings, right? For wins, I just feel like Carolina is such a good team. Like, you've almost got, you've got a really good shot at a win every time Mrazic plays, though. Like, like we said, San Jose's been looking good. That's why I said to maybe take a shot on that 66 to 1 odds on the cup. All right. Do you, uh, do you, obviously, you remember that Petr Mrazic, you asked me him versus Jonathan Bernier, started his career with Detroit, right? I followed him yes. closely. I was actually really high on him at the start of his career because I saw him with the, the Ottawa 67s. Do you know the third NHL team offhand? I did not. I I can't even visualize this, but he's played for three oh, NHL yeah, so, teams. Petr right. He, he went somewhere in between. Oh man. Oh man. It's I I also have this vague memory. Was it like Montreal? Could that could that be it? It was Montreal. Okay, who was it? It was Philadelphia. Oh, yes, that year that Philly played, like, eight goalies. Like, they broke the record for the most goalies oh, that played games it, for them. Was it that year? Yeah, yeah. And he, he was, was really bad, right? Yeah, yeah he, he was really bad. Good memory. But you, like, I give you full credit for, for getting that. I have I'll take no, half I have credit. I have no recollection of this. 
Okay, well, I don't get full credit. I didn't guess it until you told me. I just remember that they had that crazy year that every goalie got injured. And that's the year that Carter Hart finally got in when he wasn't supposed to because everyone else was injured. And then he did so well. And here we are a couple seasons later. And Carter Hart is struggling. And we like, oh, you say he's a push with Martin Jones. And I disagreed with you. So here we are. We'll be discussing Carter Hart and Martin Jones and all these goalies for years to come because we're not going anywhere on the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. So thanks to everyone who's been on this ride with us all this way and all the way through this season. We want to wish you all the best. Best of luck as you go into the final weeks of your regular seasons and into your fantasy playoffs. If you want any advice, we're here to help, okay? So we've got our Twitter, at Keepin' Carlson. We'll try our best to help you. If you want some, like, in-depth advice, this is, like, the start of April right now. It's the perfect time to sign up as a patron of Keepin' Carlson. I'm not saying this for me, you know, like, just a salesman. I'm saying this because, like, you could literally become a patron for free because you only get charged by Patreon at the end of the month. So if you if you want to pull a fast one, we will not begrudge you. Come in, sign up to be a patron, join our patron-only Discord server, ask all of your advice questions to Brian and myself and all of the smart patrons out there, Ben and Lewis. And then, you know, if you don't like it, leave by the end of April and you won't have paid a penny. Plus, you'll get a patron cast that will be dropping in a couple weeks. So it's a good time. So check it out, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But with that, Brian, I think I'm ready to wrap this baby up. So let's cue the outro music. Why don't you go ahead and read the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons. One more reason to become one right now. Uh, it's a little quieter at the moment on our Discord server than it was at the start of the season, so you get more attention. Is that a reason? I think that's a good reason. I think so. Uh, logo art by brandonweave.com. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and NBC Sports Edge. <laughs> oh, and Yahoo. And Yahoo, yes, of course. Thank you very much, Brian for a really fun Would You Rather episode. Let us know, by the way, on Twitter if you liked this concept. We've been trying lots of different concepts. We haven't heard back from anyone, so I'm going to assume everyone likes all of these themed episodes we've been doing until I hear otherwise. Uh, So yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Great job, Brian. Looking forward to doing this all with you next week. Until then, no matter who you are, that's okay, because fantasy hockey is for everyone.